Genesis chapter 24. We've been journeying along with our brother Abraham for quite some time now, and he is kind of phasing out of the story of the Bible. And uh, now coming into the storyline is his son. And so the heir that was promised by God and how God delivered after so many years of waiting. Now we come to the story where Isaac takes the stage and uh, God provides a wife for him. Okay, and so we are going to read actually verses 1 through 32 and then 49 to 66. It's a really long chapter today, uh, but the reason we're not uh, reading that middle chunk is because uh, it repeats itself. Okay, you'll see what I mean when we get into the text. Okay, so if you're able, uh, please stand with us um, for the reading of God's holy word. Again, we're going to do 1 through 32 and then 49 through 66. Hear now God's word. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household, and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give you or give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to co- come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with them all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, uh, Naharam, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, grant me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown your kindness to my master. Before he finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever laid with her before. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a drink of water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. 
And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as a room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told the mother's household about all these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for your camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. Now let's go down to verse 49. Now, if you will show me kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me so that I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We cannot say nothing to you one way or another. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and mother replied, Let the girl remain with us for ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted my success to my journey, send me on my way that I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent her sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, 
he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant, of Isaac, or, then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of uh, his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. All right, so. Sometimes when we come to the Bible, say, for example, a story like this, we see what we want to see. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we come to a passage and we kind of make it uh, mean what we want it to mean. For example, you may come to this text and say, you know what? I think the purpose of this text is to tell me how to find a godly spouse. Now, for sure, you have to do some contextualizing or updating for our current situation. But it's a blueprint, nonetheless, you may say. Let me show you what I mean. If you want to get a godly spouse, this is what you do. You follow Isaac's example. You drive to the closest coffee shop where women hang out. You ask for a cup of coffee from one of the women. If that woman gives you a cup of coffee and offers to fill up your gas tank, then she's the one. Okay? Then she is the one. I mean, think about it, right? We have a whole industry made up for finding your spouse or your partner, right? Companies like eHarmony, Match.com, Christian Singles. Farmers. One of my favorite, I was just about to say, farmers only, right? There's one out there for farmers, right? So if you're a farmer, you're looking for a spouse who wants the same thing, that's it, right? But why pay all that money and go through all that awkwardness, right, of, of going through those websites when you can just follow the Isaac plan? Right? You could just follow the Isaac plan for free in the Bible and everything would be okay. Now, obviously, I'm being sarcastic, okay? So please don't take this as a plan to go and find your godly spouse. But there is in this story plenty of us for us to rightly learn from this story and apply in our lives. So, what is it that we are going to see today? We're going to see this that because God always makes a way for his way, we are to walk faithfully as we seek to discover what those plans are. God always makes a way for his way. Our job is to faithfully walk one step at a time as we seek him. So let's look first at God always makes a way for his way. So in verses 1 through 9, the stage is set, right? We just read the story. Abraham is old. It's the end of his life. Okay, we've been journeying with Brother Abraham for quite some time, and now he is almost about to die. But he's thinking about his future, and he's thinking about the future of his family, right? Obviously, when you're older, you're thinking about that. What's going to happen to my kids and to their kids, right? But he also thinks about his wife or his son's wife. And it's become very important for us to realize why that wife is so important to the promise that God had given so many years ago. 
So he takes his chief servant aside. He gives him a mission. He says, I want you to find the right wife for Isaac, not one of the Canaanites. And I don't want you to take him back to my land, but you go back to my land and find a wife for my son. Surprisingly, the most important character in this story is not Rebecca and Isaac, right? The love story only comes uh, right there in the final verses, right? Where they finally behold one another and they get married and it says that Isaac loved Rebecca. But most of this story is about this remarkable person who we meet here and maybe only here is the servant. And what I want to do for a few moments is to, to set our minds on this servant and his faithfulness as he walked faithfully with the Lord. From the outset of our look at this story, I want to mention something about how this story is written. Okay, so for those of us who love a good story, how that story is written matters, right? How is this story written? Well, listen to what one of the commentators says as he kind of writes about this topic. He says, the point of the narrative is not so much the reader's discovery of what God has done, you and me, but rather the servant's response to it. The purpose of this, apparently, is to give due attention to the Lord's role in the events. So the way that this story is written is to show how God is in control providentially in all that he does in bringing apart this new wife for Isaac. So while Abraham's servant seems to be the main character, really it's about how God provides for his people. It's about how God provides a bride for Isaac so that this family of Abraham can continue on with the promises that he gave Abraham long, long ago. See, from beginning to the end, the Lord is clearly at work. He's the one orchestrating this story. He's the one leading and guiding this story from beginning to end. God has a plan and is providing for that plan to be carried out. And, and here I want to maybe just define two words for us that are really important for us to understand as Christians. Maybe it's the first time hearing these two terms, or maybe you've heard them before. The two terms are sovereignty and providence. Sovereignty and providence. Now let me define them real quick for us. Sovereignty has to do with the character of God. This is the idea that God is in total and absolute control of all that goes on in human history, okay? He orders things according to his plan and they carry out exactly the way that he wants them to be carried out. That's sovereignty. So what is providence? Providence has to do with the expressing of that character, trait of God, in real time and space. Listen to our, our catechism as it defines it. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So sovereignty is God's character trait, and that expressed in real life and real space is providence. God's preserving and his governing and his guiding is all over this great story of this marriage. So this story has a lot to do about God's providence, or as we stated earlier, God always making a way for his way, all right? 
That's another way to define providence. God makes a way for his way. Look at verse 7. Abraham says, The Lord, the God of heaven, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham is confident that God is going to provide. Remember the plan that God had showed him so many years ago. He will give you a people, as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. And he will give you a land. And it started to come to pass. We see this also in verse 12. The servant says this time, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. And what happened? Well, we see God working immediately. Verse 15 says, Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. We could go from line to line to see how God provides, step by step, how he's driving this story along. He's the one making a way for his way. Later on, when the servant, he has recounted all these things that God has done to Laban and to his brother, what, or to his father, what do they say in verse 50 and 51? The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the, the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So even Rebekah's father and Rebekah's brother see the working of God in this story. They say, we can't deny this, right? God's clearly at work. This is clearly God's will. And therefore, let her be the bride of your master's son. We cannot speak good or bad about this. We can't deny it. See, the key question for the servant here throughout the whole story is, will God grant success for my journey? He's wondering that, right? As he's praying and as he's seeking a bride for Isaac, he's wondering, is God going to give me success? But for you and I as the reader, our question throughout the text is, how will God grant success to the servant in search of a bride? Remember the way that the story is written. One of the commentators says that the suspense is taken out of it. We know what's going to happen as the reader. We know that God is going to provide. But the servant is the one that is in that process of discovery throughout this story. Walking by faith. Not knowing what's going to come next. And yet we know that God is going to grant success. He's going to make a way for His way. And I think that's a good reminder for us, no matter who we are or where we are in life. This morning, as God's people, we need to know that God always carries out His plans for us. His plans to, 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 uh, to help us to follow Him, to help us to make it through all the way faithfully until the end, until He takes us home. He's always going to make a way for you and for me. That's his M.O. That's how he does things. He does not just save us and then leave us alone. No, he saves us and walks with us as that song that we always sing. Walk with me, Lord. He walks each step of the way. And this is in keeping with a common theme that we have been looking at in the book of Genesis, that a promise made is a promise kept. 
We are repetitive on purpose as we keep pounding this in because the Bible keeps pounding this in. Like I said last week, how quick we are to forget that God keeps his promises. And yet he does. Faithfully, over and over and over again. God promised Abraham a people and Abraham could not have a people without a son. So God gave him a son. But still, Abraham could not have a people unless that son had a wife. And what does God do? He provides a wife in Rebekah. God made a way for his way. And the same is true for you and me. And it's especially important for us to realize this and to remember this when by sight things look bad. We keep coming back to this. When by sight things don't look like they're going according to God's plan, that's when we need to be reminded the most that God is always carrying out his plan. Right? When those things are, 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 when we are disappointed, when we are discouraged, when we are down in the dumps, depressed even, we need to be reminded that God is not anxious about his plan. He carries out his plan to the T. Always. Every time. Just as we see in this story. We see the action of God and the providence of God being worked out in real time and real space in a special way as he brings these two people together. But you know, there are also plenty of things for us to learn as we examine the life of the servant here in the story, right? We've looked at God and what he's done providing for his way, but also a lot of times in the Bible, uh, God puts forth a person for us to look at, to follow their life and their example, to evaluate how they walked by faith and not by sight. I wish I had time to preach a whole sermon on the faith of Abraham's servant here. He really is a remarkable uh, character in the Bible. He's, he's only mentioned, I think, here once in the Bible, and yet his faith is extraordinary. Having been tasked with finding a wife for his master's son, the servant started out on his journey, not knowing whether or not he was going to be successful, right? He didn't have that vantage point of seeing the end of the story. All he could do was take that next step in front of him. Commentators say that this journey would have taken a long time to go search for this bride. But we read it in a matter of moments. But you know what? It's clear from the outset of this story that this servant had a real relationship with God. What do I mean by that? He had a real living faith that was being acted out in his life. Right? The proof was in the pudding. This servant knew God. Maybe he had watched for years his master Abraham follow God faithfully, taking steps of faith into the unknown. And maybe he was following his example. But either way, this servant had a real and living relationship with God. And it showed itself in his life. So let's look at a few aspects of his faith that is uh, relevant for you and I, okay? First is a faith that trusts that God is in control. A faith that trusts that God is in control. The servant showed us this. In many regards, the servant is very human. What do I mean by this? Well, he knows that he has limits, right? We don't like to, to admit that you and I have limits, right? And yet we have limits physically. We have limits mentally, emotionally, right? 
We have limits of how much we can work and how much we can play or work out. But he admits that he has limits and he knows that God must work and that if God doesn't work, then his journey is not going to be successful. The servant also likewise knows that in all of this, God is in control. He is the one that orders all things according to his plan. Let's see this here in the text. Look at verse 5. He asks the honest question, what if the woman will not come back with me? And then again in his prayer in verse 12 through 14, he prays that God would grant him success and show his love by providing a wife. This man is quick to prayer. As he steps out in faith, he is saying, God, if you don't give me success, if you don't help me, if you don't provide the way, then it's not going to happen. And in all of this, the servant doesn't know if his journey is going to be successful. Yet he shows a faith that knows that God is in control and that he is going to carry out his plan. I said a moment ago that, that he doesn't enjoy the same perspective that you and I as the reader enjoy or as the writer enjoys writing this story. He didn't see all the information. He didn't know how it was going to be worked out. And that's a lot of times just like our life, right? We are in the place of this servant trying to discern God's will. What does he want for me in this situation that I'm going through right now? I don't know the end story. My story has not been written per se. God knows it. He has written it, but we don't know it, right? And so we have to take that next step of faith into the unknown, knowing that God is in control. Just like the servant, he simply knew who God was, and he says, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to take that next step. One commentator, he put it this way, that the servant is a living model of Proverbs 3, 6. We quoted this at the beginning of our service, but I want to read it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Think about this, guys. He was a living example of this verse. He followed that. That was his life verse, as it were. And it showed itself in the way that he lived his life. When it came down to what really mattered, he trusted God. He didn't lean on his own understanding. May the same be said of us as we walk by faith this journey that God has given us. You know what? One of you are, uh, is going to be a different than the other person in that the, the journey and the trials and the, and the, the um, stuff that you have to go through is not going to be the same as the person next to you. And yet, the person next to you is going to have to walk by faith just like you have to walk by faith has to lean on not their own understanding, but lean on God's understanding to acknowledge him in all your ways, in all my ways. See, there are many blanks still to be filled in our life from our perspective. Many choices to be made. Many decisions that we have to bring before the Lord and others to say, God, what do you want from me? And yet the call is the same. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord. And he will make straight your paths. Our job is to walk by faith. Our job is to acknowledge God in every moment, every move that you and I make. So how are we doing in that? 
Well, not only does the servant show us a faith that trusts that God's in control, but he also, secondly, shows us a faith that worships when we see God at work. I think that this is one of the most convicting things from this text for me. Okay, This dude is quick to worship God when he sees God at work. And then I look back at my own life and how, how not quick I am, how slow I am to worship the Lord when I see him at work in my life. It's like when I don't see him at work, I'm begging him, I'm begging him, God, please do something, God, please do something. But when he does, what do I do? I just move on to the next thing. I don't even stop and say, thank you, Lord. But what does this servant do? The pattern he has is clear. He prayerfully steps out in faith, asking God to work. And then when he sees God at work, what does he do? Look at, for example, verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness toward my master. As for me... The Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. This happens over and over again. He sees God at work. He stops immediately to praise him. He sees God at work. He stops immediately to praise him. The most natural and immediate response to observing the Lord at work for him was to worship. That's why it was so convicting for me. I wonder if it is for you. Is our most natural and immediate response to stop, to acknowledge that God has been working in our life and to praise him for it? Because that's what happened here with the servant. But I know that too often in my own life, in our life together, we don't stop and thank God, right? Think about times when we come together in prayer, how often we go straight towards asking God for things and we don't say, God, I thank you for doing this. Or, God, I praise you for this. How often we skip the praise reports and we go straight to the prayers, right? Both are important, but I think sometimes we neglect the one. And so when we see God at work, do we take time to stop and acknowledge it? Is the question that I want us to think about. So far as we've looked at this story up until now, we've been kind of looking at it more thematically than chronologically. But I want to turn our attention finally to the end of the narrative here as we close. After having agreed not to linger, but to go with Abraham's servant to marry Isaac, Rebekah receives a blessing from her family in verse 60. I want us to look at that for a minute. Look there at verse 60. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister... May you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Think for a moment back to the rest of our study of the book of Genesis. Does this sound familiar? Does this blessing sound familiar? I think if you can think back to some of the, the, the things that we've studied with Abraham, you will see it's familiar. Think back to Genesis 17. In Genesis 22, where God promises what? A people and a land. See, the, the blessing, this, it, which people say it was a generic blessing, right? They didn't necessarily know that this is what God had promised them. But they were just kind of giving a generic ble blessing to their daughter as she leaves. And yet, the author of the text wants us to know that there's a clear connection that God is fulfilling his promise yet again. 
We've seen how God fulfills his promise in giving that son, in giving that piece of land last week, and now again fulfilling his promise with giving a bride for Isaac. You can't have a people if you don't have a marriage, right? Between Isaac and Rebekah. And yet again, God is fulfilling his promise in another small but significant and amazing way for us here this morning. I'm thankful for these reminders that God always makes a way for his way. Even when there doesn't seem a way that God is going to make a way, he makes a way for his people. That's who he is in his character, and that's what he does in real time and space. His plan from the beginning was not only to make a people and a nation out of Abraham, who he had promised to, but also that plan includes people like you and me. His plan was to save a people. We are descendants of Father Abraham by faith. And by faith, we have been forgiven of our sins through Jesus. And Jesus has gathered a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He has freed them from the slavery of sin and the devastating effects of sin and is making them new each and every day and restores them to a right relationship with God. This is all a part of the promise made to Abraham that God is continuing to fulfill with you and me today. And he made this happen through his one and only son. We were reminded of that a few weeks ago as we looked at Abraham. And when God said, I want you to take what? Your one and only son and sacrifice him. That foreshadowed. That was a precursor of what would happen when God would take his one and only son and put him to death on the cross for you and for me. God kept his promise to save his people. God provided a way for justice to be carried out and yet for sinners like you and me to be forgiven. God ordered the events of human history from beginning all the way up until that time when Jesus went on that rugged cross to die for you and for me. And he continues now and to the end of all eternity, he will order events. He will show his providence, show his sovereignty as he orders all things according to the purpose of his will, according to his plan. He will continue to make a way even when there seems to be no way. And that's what we celebrate as we come to the Lord's Supper. We celebrate that God made a way for you and for me. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even through just a small story about how a man and woman were joined together in marriage, that you showed us that you are a promise keeper, promise maker and a promise keeper. We thank you also, Lord, that the, the table before us reminds us of your promises, made and kept, that you have forgiven us of our sins, you have cleansed us from all of our wickedness, and Jesus paid for all of that on the cross. And so, Lord, we pray for the grace to remember that as we come to your table. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.